Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Yeah, the guy I mentioned, Fungus Among Us, is a guy that died. He was GM in the early 90s. Yeah, I remember, and I'm looking through the hash history, and it turns out I was at his uh, wedding with a uh, fast lady. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, everybody got sick, uh, got food poisoning from the uh, chicken salad. So I remember that. That was quite quite something. Yeah, well, you know, I left in, well, let's see, when I left in 1983, I left the L.A. hash. I was in Atlanta for a while, and then I came back in 87, Oh. But I was in Orange County then, running with the Orange County hash. So, but I, I occasionally got up to LA and ran with them. Today we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a long, long time hasher and a founder of one of the major USA kennels of all time, the Los Angeles hash. Today on the podcast, welcome Webfoot. Welcome Webfoot. Oh, well, thank you, Ra. It's good to be here. Let's introduce you. A lot of people have hashed on the West Coast. There's people listening and have had never hashed in the States at all. Let's get your origin story. When and where and how did you get to your very first hash? I was um, working in London at the time in preparation to go to Singapore. I was talking to one of the Englishmen there who had returned, and he said, don't hang around with the Americans. It's too boring. And join the hash if you want to run. Well, I wasn't a, really a runner then, but uh, it sounded like a lot of fun. So I tried to contact the person who gave me and when I did he said he didn't have anything to do with it anymore so I was in Singapore for about a year uh, before I finally um, joined up with the hash one of my neighbors was a hasher and so he brought me to my first run it nearly killed me I mean it was tough running in the tropics I had been running a little bit during vacation in Malaysia about a month before the hash because I knew I was going to be you know joining uh, a running group so I was running on the beach, beaches up there, but uh, I, I didn't do a whole lot of good. So that first run was a, a ball buster. But it didn't take me long to get in shape, and I was, did, did really well. I mean, after that, no problem. And I started doing, even doing some competitive running before I left Singapore, just oh, a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's often 100 degrees Fahrenheit and 99% humidity, right? It didn't get that hot there because all the tropical rains kept it down mostly in the 80s, but it was pretty humid and 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 hot. Uh, you know, maybe averaging around 90 degrees, but uh, and that was pretty much year round. What year was that? 80. That was 1980. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> in Singapore, it was 1975. Okay, 1975 Singapore. That had been running for about 15, 14, 15 years. Do you remember any of the people from then? Is there anybody you know from Singapore Hash early days or knew? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Big Pete, uh, he, uh, his name is Peter Gurner. And uh, I don't know, he might be a little older than I am, but he was originally from North Carolina, so we hit it off right away. And he was working in Singapore for an oil pipeline company. He, he was a pipeline engineer. Uh -huh. and, there are a lot of hashers in Singapore who were working in the oil industry, uh, basically offshore oil field in the Java Sea. Now, we hit it off really well, and he moved back to the States. Uh, he was living in Houston for a while, and I saw him again then. So we've been in close contact all along, and he was in California for a while, uh, living in, I think, in the Bakersfield area. He was, you know, not in a real strong hashing area, but 
Uh, occasionally, he would be at some of our hashes, and eventually he moved to uh, Southern California in the, in the uh, Los Angeles area. So he was pretty big in, in the Southern California hashes for a long time. He, he's the main contact. The other one of importance is Bernard Daniel. He was li living in Los Angeles when I was there. I mean, he would, I knew him from Singapore. And so he, he helped me start the L.A. hash. Yeah. And st he didn't stick with running or hashing or anything. And he was transferred to the San Francisco Bay Area and probably hadn't run a step since then. But I'm still in contact with him occasionally. Let's just talk a little bit about Singapore, what it was like for people who weren't hashing then or haven't been. It was all men. Did you have a circle and singing? Were those hash traditions part of it? Oh, yes. Uh, it was definitely all men. Back in those days, Singapore was the second world's second hash. Right. Uh, it was de definitely an all-male activity. We had singing. Uh, they didn't call it a circle, but they didn't have formal naming then. You know, after the runs, we gathered around and drank, drank beer. Most of the singing came later, later after quite a few beers were drunk. It was mostly uh, devoted to announcements and occasional down-downs for people who were leaving, and they would get a mug, and a scry mug. The beer truck would have bottles of beer and glasses, and, and they would pour beer in from the bottles and the glasses, so we didn't get the whole bottle. But sometimes they, people would drop and break their glass, and that, was due, and that uh, created a down-down. Did you pick up any hash t-shirts from there? Did you keep anything? Did you get a mug? I did all that. They had a lot of T-shirt runs. Um, it was interesting because uh, Singapore is very, very was very corporate. Sounds like they're doing tree trimming right inside your place. Yeah, let me just. I'll push my mute button while you're talking. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Singapore is very corporate. Everyone, all of the hashers uh, were probably uh, reasonably high up in their company because they were posted there. So they liked to sponsor runs. So the t-shirts were free because they, were, they had a corporate sponsorship. So we had uh, a lot of t-shirt runs, even though the runs weren't necessarily special runs. So yeah, got a lot of t-shirts and uh, I got a uh, mug when I left, when somebody was being reposted out side of Singapore, they would get a get a mug, you know, upon their departure. When you're on Facebook, I got pictures of a lot of this stuff. If you go through my photo albums and so forth on the side, you can uh, see all that stuff. Okay, yeah, I'll grab that for the podcast website. We need a couple of pictures of you, and then maybe I'll download a bunch and make a photo album on my website from that and point to that too for you. Yeah, it's a good photo in the hash history. If you, in, it's in the not the printed version I've got, but it's in the website that I sent you. It's a good picture of me uh, with a dog on the lawn. I've tried to get a copy of that, and I haven't been able to. But I couldn't copy it from the uh, website for some reason. But I'll do a screen capture of it and send it to you. At least you'll have, you know, it might not be the highest resolution, but it'll be a screen capture of what you see on the computer. When did you leave Singapore, and where'd you go? It's interesting because the Grandmaster of the Singapore Hash got a letter from Ian Cumming, who founded the Singapore Hash. Right. Uh, Ian was living in New York, and he wanted to start a hash in New York. So he requested that the first hasher to return to New York from duty in Singapore uh, help him start the hash. Well, Charlie Woodhouse was the first person to return, I think in January 1978. He and Ian started the hash. They had their first run. I 
was the second one to return to New York because I was working for a New York bank. Uh, so I returned in February of 1978, in time for their second run. That was when I left Singapore, and I became a joint master of the New York Cash along with Charlie Woodhouse. Ian Cumming was the grandmaster. Ian Cumming has since passed on uh, maybe three or four years ago. Yeah, I knew Ian. For many years, he came up to the Hogtown anniversary weekend. He had a sister who lived outside of Toronto, and he would, in, in his very later years when he couldn't run anymore, he'd still come up to the weekend, go visit his sister during the run. I'd go out to lunch with him. So I met him in the later days. Well, he was a good guy. I, I, yeah. I, I missed him. I think the last time I saw him was when he was at the uh, Indo-Americas Hash in San Diego. He's a very memorable guy, big, booming, singing, repertoire. Do you have any other uh, stories or memories of him on trail or other hash escapades? One of my great memories is his first run I did. Uh, it was in February of uh, 1978, and it was in real deep snow. He, Ian lived in Katona, New York, which is in Westchester County, just outside of New York City. Uh <laughs> He couldn't lay trail uh, because of the white snow. Uh, he had he had to put strips of paper on tree limbs, you know, and staple them. <laughs> then the next the next day after the run, he had to go and take them all down. But uh, it was a real slog going through knee deep in snow. So that was a memorable hash run, and I took a few pictures, uh, which you might be able to find there. That's brilliant. How how many people were there at the beginning of the that New York hash? Oh gosh. Well, let's say about ten or so. I I think on my on the one I did, it must have been about ten people or so there. Charlie Woodhouse and his wife were there. There were a few other people. A lady, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name now, but anyway, I got a picture of her, and, and she's on Facebook or she was. I'm not even sure she's still living, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, she hasn't appeared for a while. Anyway, hashers they pass on. I mean, uh, more and more of them keep passing to the right here and there or whatever but um uh, another memory of a hash with uh, ian was i since i was living in the city i had to take the uh, train back to the city after the runs right and uh, we, we had quite a few beer but i he agreed to drive me to the uh, train station uh, but he said uh oh but well you got what about 10 minutes before the train leaves we can stop off in this pub and have a beer uh, one last beer so <laughs> So we did that, and I just barely missed, made the train somehow and and then got back to New York. But that that was kind of the way it was back then. A lot of fun. Nice. Did that hash have a circle, and was it all men? Uh, no, oh, no, it wasn't. It was definitely not all men, right? Yeah, not not all men. I don't remember a circle particularly. Um, I, I just don't remember, remember that. The runs were about once a month, and I was in New York for uh, two years, I guess. So, what? That's only about twelve runs. I, I would have to travel up to Westchester County, because that's where the runs generally were, because most of the hashers lived there. But I was living in the city, and I did lay a couple of runs in the city. I, I, I don't really remember a circle as such, and 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 any of my hashing, we never really called it that. From Hazakashi. Uh, he, he calls it that, and so, and I've been following him on Facebook, so that might be a term that started more recently. I don't know. Right. So by the time you left Singapore and got to New York and were joint master, had you hashed anywhere else? I had to remember. Uh, in Malaysia, 
Yes, but that was close to Singapore. Uh, right. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Ran a couple of runs with the Jabor Jahor Baru Jabor Hash right across right. the causeway from Singapore. Right. Uh, oh, and one of them was in I think Ulu Tulum Johor. I ran into Curly Lee, who was one of the founders of the Kuala Lumpur Hash in 1938. Right. He he was not running. I enjoyed talking with him, and he gave me his business card. I, mean, I don't know if it was really a business card, but it was a card with an introduction to the um, Suva Club, our Fiji Club in Suva, Fiji. I guess he was a member of that, and I thought that's where he was living. But in contact with Peter Gerner, who I mentioned earlier, who knew Curly better, and he had visited Curly's house in Johor. And uh, I think he even hired to run there one time, but that might have been after I left. I don't know. So he was basically living in Johor, but it was kind of nice meeting one of the original Kuala Lumpur hashers. Yeah. And I never, I did get to Fiji, but I never got to Suva. I ran with the Latak hash. All the hashing was in the northern part of the country, and getting down to uh, Suva wasn't all that easy. So right. uh, it was nice having that. Inter- and I can't find that card. I wonder what I did with that. I, that oh. That's a real historical artifact. Yeah, that sure is. Do you know about the Hash T-Shirt Museum? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, there's a guy from Holland, Neptunus, and he, he's hosted a few Dutch, several Dutch Nash hashes and Euro hashes, so he's quite active in the 60s. He started a collection of Hash T-Shirts in Rotterdam. It's expanded. He went to The Hague with it, kind of got kicked out of a couple buildings as a landlord change so he shipped everything in a container to kl and it's going to be there and it now has t-shirts socks banners backpacks everything so it's going to be a major museum of hash artifact if you're ever going to part with anything that would be a good place we can we can arrange to get shipments and stuff okay did you say that is in the netherlands that's where he's from but and he lives there in i think by september he's going to kl to move, and he shipped everything already. Oh, oh, so the museum is going to be in KL, not in yes. Amsterdam or Rotterdam. Okay. Right. Yeah, he set it up there. It lasted for a couple of years. It was operating. He was giving tours. I kind of informed him more about the Hash Heritage Committee that he wasn't aware of in KL, and he got in touch with them, and now they're all coordinating. They're building a hash building on the land that the Hash Heritage Foundation needs in KL. They're going to have a museum there. So it's a big, I mean, he's got thousands and thousands of items now. I don't know if he even has a a t-shirt from the original inner hash in Hong Kong, but he's always accepting all kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I've got one from the uh, 1980 inner hash. There were about three t-shirts. I still have one that has survived. (laughs) Nice, nice. We'll go back to your chronology of what happened but interhashing, world interhashing, did you get to any other ones? Well, the first was in Hong Kong, and I, I guess the second was in Kuala Lumpur. And I was just in the process of moving from New York to uh, Los Angeles in 1980. And um, I stopped off in uh, Kuala Lumpur for the interhash. Nice. Kind of a, a, a roundabout trip to uh, from New York to Los Angeles. So. And I traveled to, through the Pacific and hashed a number of hashes in the Pacific Islands. So, and then, of course, when I got into Los Angeles, I ended up starting the LA hash. Yeah, well, we want to talk about that next. But do you remember what were the stops you made in the Pacific on that trip? Well, I did several trips through the Pacific, so it's hard to remember on 
which stop was which trip. But uh, I went from New York to um, Bangkok, and I um, hashed with the Bangkok hash before arriving in KL. And then from KL, I went to Singapore, hash there. And then from there, I think I went to Bali and hash there. Then I went to New Caledonia, but they didn't have a hash there then, but I had a good time there anyway. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went to Port Vila. It was in New Hebrides then, but it's now Vanuatu. Right. And from there, I went to Fiji, hash with the Lotaka hash, from there on back to L.A. And that was in the spring of 1980. So I had about six months to put together the L.A. hash, and that's a story in itself. Right. Wow, that's a good... Uh, we, my wife and I, we've hashed in a lot of the little islands. We've gone to Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, and stuff like that on the way to inter various inner hashes. But uh, that's a good uh, list of hashing in the early 80s that was hitting all the, the spots. So you no doubt met a lot of hashers from the early days of all these places. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, um... I haven't kept up with all that many of them through the years, but um, most of the people I still con uh, are in contact with are uh, former California hashers and a few New Yorkers. Okay, just I just one more thing before we talk about the founding of Los Angeles and how all that went. When you left New York, did it seem like that hash was steady and going to last a long time? What was your the outlook? The outlook was very good. I, they were. Doing monthly runs, uh, I guess eventually it went to weekly. And I know that at one time a New York City has started up, which is basically right in the city. And so I think hashing kept up pretty well, but I never really kept much contact except with the Woodhouses, uh, Charlie Woodhouse and so forth. But they didn't uh, continue hashing or, mm -hmm. or even running. I uh, still uh, keep in touch with them. Yeah. I have tried to contact, since uh, Ian died, I've tried to contact several hashers there that I knew, and I haven't had a whole lot of success. Got any names? They might hear this, or somebody might know them, and we can try. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, let me think. Um, can't, I can't right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's always hard on the spot. Okay. If any pop into your mind, we'll put them up here. Did you know Tub Slut? No, I didn't. Oh, he was a good friend of Ian at the end. Well, the maybe very I did. Days. Maybe I did because we didn't have uh, formal hash names there, I don't think, uh -huh. uh, in the New York hash. We didn't in Singapore. and uh, We started it in, in uh, Los Angeles and all the California hash. It, it could be uh, a hash name. It, it could be that I know his uh, by his uh, Civilian, real, yeah. Real name. <laughs> And New York, like many b major cities, became a, has become a hashing mega center with hashing every day and more than 10 clubs. Yeah, boom. But let's talk about Los Angeles. This is a big deal. The Los Angeles hash is one of the early ones on the west coast of the U.S. and has had, because of being a major city, so many people pass through there, celebrities go on the hash or meet hashers. So... When you landed out there, how long did it take, and what was the process of getting it started, and who helped you? Well, before I uh, permanently moved there, I did take a visit during 1980 to Los Angeles. My brother was living there, and that's one thing that drew me to L.A. We went into business together. The only hash in California at the time was La Jolla in San Diego. Right. So I went down to La Jolla and ran with them, and 
I asked them if there was any hashing in Los Angeles because I, at the time I didn't even know. And they said, no, not as far as they knew, but uh, if I wanted to start one, they would be glad to help me. So that was good. So, so several months later, when I actually ended up moving there, which was probably spring, I don't know, uh, early summer. One thing I contacted Bernard Daniel, uh, who I knew in Singapore and I knew he lived there and I told him, you know, I wanted to get a hash start and he, he would help me. We would start recruiting people. So I started scouting trails. I, I, I learned a little bit about the topography and I was told that uh, there are good horse trails up in the Santa Monica Mountains, which would be great for hashing. So I got up in there and started running some of those trails and thought, oh, this is going to be really good hashing here. And I got to know the uh, landscape fairly well. And so by December, I had a trail worked out. Bernard and I did. And we laid the first trail in the mountains. Uh, Bundy, uh, Bundy Road, Bundy and um, is it Redwoods, Bundy and Shalom Road. <laughs> And my brother was there. He he was there, and he took some pictures uh, of uh, the, the circle and such. He didn't go on the run because he was not a runner. But you know, as we were finishing and so, so forth, he took a lot of photos. But the La Jolla hash sent about eleven hashers up, so we had a pretty good crowd. Yeah. We had um, myself. We had a couple of well, I don't remember exactly who was on the first run, but uh, the La Jolla hash is pretty much dominated. Right. So I I gave them the photos to take back with them. I loaned them to them and I never saw them again, which is <laughs> unfortunate. And did you have non-hashers? Do you have virgin runners who had never been to a hash? Make oh, that yeah, happen? yeah, we did. And by the, I think the second or third run, we had Ed Von Leffern came in from the soul hash and, and another soul hasher came and they were, they were, they were bankers. I think Bernard recruited them through them. We, we got some experienced hashers, but we didn't have that many experienced hashers. So it was a real learning experience. I, I had to pretty much teach everybody how to lay a trail, what to do on a trail, how it worked. And I was using what I learned in Singapore because I was the only other, ha- well, that was the main hash that I ran with in New York was similar, but I, I just brought, brought the Singapore rules. Uh, to Los Angeles and and they were modified over time because some of the people who had hashed in other areas wanted to do it their way so it, it was a, a lot of give and take mm-hmm. there and of course we had women I knew right away that we would never be able to uh, have an all-male hash in the, in the United States even though uh, Washington DC was and I, I I've got a little story on that one we had a lot of women and, and they and which was a good thing because they like to do a lot of the organizing so it was a lot of work, you know, getting the uh, newsletters out, uh, laying trails, scouting and uh, so forth. So fortunately, over time, the, the women took over a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men just like to run and drink beer, but the women uh, like to do a lot of organizing. <laughs> yeah. So how did it go for the earliest or first traditions? Did you take any, did La Jolla say, well, this is how we like, we do some things in the circle? Did Uh, How did that all come together with the formation of the L.A. hash post-run traditions? I don't recall them having any influence. It was basically all me. And and I I was pretty much a dictator. We pretty much did it my way. Gradually, the influence, outside influence came in from people who had hashed in other areas, but not from La Jolla that I can recall. And I, I don't really remember too much about the way La Jolla did it. I did hash with them in later years, occasionally when they had special runs, but I can't really remember anything uh, particularly unique 
about the way they did it. How long did it take before other people could hair trails and, and, and do that mismanagement stuff? How long was it needed for you to be a dictator and make sure everything was got it? Yeah, exactly when, I don't know. But uh, uh, it didn't take very long for others to. It, uh, we weren't running every week at first, so there was a lot of learning time. I think we started out once a month at first, and then after a few months, we are doing every other week. Right. But the big change came basically the, I think, the 1984 Olympics. Ah. Uh, and, and the Philadelphia hash had some people working for the University of Pennsylvania. Somehow they got hired by the University of California. Before the Olympics, out came some Philadelphia hashers who were employed by the University of Southern California. One of them, Dwayne Hickling, was the, he was involved with a lot of the Olympic venues and so forth. The USC was very instrumental in helping to get the that the Olympics organized in LA. Mm-hmm. So they were willing to do just about anything they needed to do to, to help the LA hash. And, and they were very enthusiastic. One of them took over as uh, onset Kathy uh, LeClaire. She later was called Eclair was her hash name. She mm-hmm. eventually became uh, the, the uh, grand mistress of the hash. I think I was after I left. That was a tremendous help. The Philadelphia hashers who came out were, um, a real boost to the LA hash. Right. When did you start making t-shirts and how did you get the logo? How, what's the story of some of that logistics and invention? <laughs> well, I, I just posted a memory on, on Facebook today. It shows me running in the original hash t-shirt. Uh, let's see, Bernard Daniel worked for one of the banks and I was trying to get them to sponsor it, but it, they couldn't do that. So I made it in the colors of the Los Angeles Dodgers, royal blue and white. Right. And, uh, I, I had a design that I wanted to work on. And my brother was still around and he was doing a lot of graphic designing at the time. So he did the official design for it and, and published it. That was the first T-shirt, which was uh, actually the first T-shirt that appeared in 1981, according to Hash History. <laughs> we had also T-shirts for the 50th run, which came in 1982. Mm-hmm. We didn't charge a whole lot of money for the T-shirts, but... You know, we had those two going for a while. The logo, what's the, the story of the creation of the logo? There's not a particular story around it. It's just something I like. It shows L-A intertwined with an H-H-H down one of the legs of the L. I guess I saw a logo similar to that sometime somewhere. I liked it. It wasn't necessarily a hash logo. And on the sleeve, I put had a rabbit, running rabbit. And on the back, it just said, Los Angeles Hash House Harriers. At the bottom, it was pretty simple. It was a pretty simple T-shirt. Yeah. Did anything else happen during those years for the expansion of the hash on the west coast of the states that you knew of? The Orange County hash, I know, started during that time. I think because I remember going down with Kathy. Uh, she was our onset. We mm-hmm. went down to run with uh, with them. I don't know if it was the first run. Probably wasn't the first run, but they had started. San Diego probably started sometime around then. I ran with them a few times, but I, I can't remember the exact dates of when sure. all these. Yeah. started. Another curious thing it was a San Francisco hash. The LA hash, as far as I know, is the second hash in California. But I don't know when San Francisco started. It's possible they started before LA, but I don't think so. 
Uh huh. I've, I've never really heard when they uh, got started. Right. Yeah. Some of that history is a little bit murky, and people claim people like to claim they're first, but everybody's trying to find out the exact ones. Yeah. Before we move on to what happened next, were there early misadventures with the LA hash? I mean, run-ins with the police or civilians or lost people or injuries? Not that I recall. Oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, I have heard that there have been since then, but a couple of th interesting things. Uh, I was not really interested in attracting a lot of publicity to the hash because we were kind of an outrageous group that wasn't suitable for um, the general public. Right. But we did get some publicity. There was one run in West Hollywood that uh, was laid by Sybil Zayden, and she was kind of uh, into a lot of publicity. She was doing a lot of Hollywood stuff and so forth. So she invited reporters from the Los Angeles Times to come out and cover the hash. Wow. And they took pictures and so forth and did a write-up and interviewed uh, me and others about hashing and so forth. I wasn't real happy with that. That was some of our first bit of publicity. Then a little bit later, television got involved. A local TV station invited me and Kathy, our onset. They had a morning talk show, kind of like the Today Show. It was really early before most people got up. So I don't think anybody ever really saw us, but we were on television it being interviewed about the hash and talking about what it was and so forth. And so we got a little bit of publicity out of that. It might have done some good. I don't know. We got plenty of people. I mean, there uh, we got a lot of people uh, in, in that hash. How big did it grow before you left? Oh, I don't know, hundreds, uh, several hundred people. Um, yeah, wow. We didn't have any competition in the Los Angeles area at the time, so we attracted mostly competitive runners from the running club. I, I recruited a lot of people from the Fadipides, the uh, running store. They had Wednesday night fun runs, so that's where I recruited most of the people, and they were serious runners. Right. We did the best I could. We needed people, and I, I wasn't sure if they would adapt to the hashing, uh, but they did in, uh, for the most part, and some of them became very active in, in the hash. Bernard and others recruited people from the banking community who had hashed overseas. You know, essentially, there wasn't a whole lot of competition. It spread throughout Southern California, and there, there were several other hashes that sprung up in the L.A. area that ran maybe not every week, but occasionally once a month or so. Mm -hmm. That's part one with Webfoot from his history in Asia to running on the first hash that Ian Cummings started in New York to founding the LA hash. We'll be back in part two to talk about his hashing after that. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Till next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, Oh